Welcome to the UCM. We're your tour guides, Zan Peters and Joe Semino. And we're going to be taking you through our humble little museum's collection. The exhibits may or may not be real, but the stories sure are. Enjoy your visit today at the Uncanny County Museum. told you about what it was like to you know go through the sacraments specifically confession when i was in catholic school i don't think we ever have right yeah i I did i did always wonder why whenever i would watch you eat crackers you would put one on the tip of your tongue and then like (laughs) like like you were dropping acid right like put the tabs on there that's how that was the best part about church specifically because i was getting a snack because i was always hungry as a kid so did you ever pretend you were a frog when you were a kid yeah absolutely well do you mean at church or like in general because those are two different things (laughs) (laughs) i guess he i guess either one um i i i would sometimes think about that while you know, eating things out of the palm of my hand. Yes, I would kind of. Pre- I would pretend to be a horse. You know, like uh, yeah, picking things up with your with your lips or right, right, or so- something really dry like Chex Mix. You could stick out your tongue and yes, the, it would it would stick to your it would stick to mm-hmm. the tip of it, so you could pretend to be a chameleon or a frog. Yeah, yeah, you got to retract. I did that with Cheerios mm-hmm. all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Is definitely... this is this horse girl adjacent or? Probably, mm. where I think where where it would be like borderline at that point, okay. right? Okay. Border, I mean, there were people borderline horse girl. Yeah, I think so. But yeah, mm-hmm. definitely. Like, it's always weird when you're like very young going through Catholic school and expected to have so much burden when it came to like how sacraments are done, mm. um, and specifically because there's a lot to remember that I feel like nobody ever does. Um, mm-hmm. And I was like, I was having this conversation with my mom recently about like. All the things we remember from school, because she, you know, she grew up in Italy. She, you went to Catholic school. It's just part of it. It's just school over there. I mean, yeah, essentially. (laughs) 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 But I was, I, I, we were talking about, we remember from like having to do confession because my sister didn't do it. She did through like CCD or whatever. She only went to like one Mm -hmm. year, but I was there till fifth grade, and I very Mm -hmm. much remember having to go to confession where you had to like sit in a room. And mm-hmm. rehearse like one of the creeds. I don't even remember which one, but you're like mm-hmm. having to spit back these lines of verse that you're, you know, in third grade, don't remember much. And yeah. having to like rehearse that. And then you would walk up and I'd have to go into the um the priest's confession chamber thing. I forget what it's mm-hmm. called. And you're, you know, meeting with the priest and they're like, Hello, my son, or whatever they say, and you know, tell me your sins, and I'm you know, eight or nine and I have to sit there and like remember this creed, but I never knew what I was like, I never knew what kind of sins y- you had. Cause I felt like, you know, you're hearing well, all these the first, stories about the first sin is listening to creed. <laughs> no, I didn't listen to creed. I didn't have good music taste at that age. It was probably like whatever my parents put on, <laughs> which is either pop hits that are on the radio or like anything. How about from... credence? 
Creedence Clearwater, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Definitely. Okay, so that counts. But I always, Mm -hmm. you know, I remember having, like, the stress of, like, well, Jesus died for our sins and didn't do anything in that way. And some of these guys out of the Bible did some pretty horrible stuff they confessed to, like Paul. So what do I got? I watched TV too late. Uh, Mm. I... Didn't go to bed on time. Uh, and, you know, this is just like, I'd just be sitting there listing off random things and then, you know, they give you yeah. the stuff to go and whatever. But there's a lot of stress that comes out of that at a young age. But I distinctly remember, like, walking past all of the stations of the cross, which was in our church on the way there, mm. and having to, like, remember all of those as well, which really came in hand in handy when we were watching Black Easter, because then I could point out the moment when Simon was going to help up Jesus, and I went, oh my God, I remember this from mm. uh, Catholic school. So all in all, somehow the lore that was uh, implemented into me at a very young age all came back, and it really helped me out in the end, especially with art history. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Was the implication from Black Easter that Simon had always been a scientist from the future that came back to help Jesus? Or (sighs) was that just a coincidence that there was another Simon in the past actually with Jesus, but they wrote down that the wrong one? I think it was a fan fiction, Zan, if we're going to be honest, in terms of how they wanted Mm, to establish that. But in in their universe, it was that this Simon was always going to be the Simon. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. But it's interesting hearing you talk about that. I I feel like I grew up knowing about confession and sacrament as just a thing from movies and TV mm. shows and whatnot. Uh, oh, interesting. <laughs> yeah, well, my... Because my mom never brought us to Mass. She would talk about going to Catholic school and how much she hated it. Yeah, it's not great. But, you know, my my parents sent me to Jewish day school and then sent me to Montessori and uh and then, you know, I was I was in uh uh what you call it? Um you know, I I, w- I was in pretty secular schools or at least in a secular school for high school. So so it never really entered into it. I kind of knew bland Protestantism, mm. so I didn't some some kind of protestantism don't know which uh one of them school right one of them and and then in high school i think just when you're starting to try and form more of an opinion about the world we had these visiting artists come and were working on this big project with us for the school uh, in in art class so everybody in art club which i was president of Oh, um, <laughs> love that because I, I was the only one that showed up regularly. Oh. <laughs> um, you know, we we were helping them do this. They were two Mexican artists and that had come to visit and they were very prolific in that kind of very, very sculptural paper mache. Mm. Uh, that that's that's historically been done there where where the paper is basically clay you know it's not yeah. like you're doing the strips of paper you've got right, paper right. clay and we were building that and one of them was talking about growing up uh in mexico and one of the things that he would joke about was he was one of the very very few protestants where mm. he was growing up like That's his or his family at least was protestant so at school they had their weekly confession or whatever and 
the priest would always joke about it that like him and the one other kid that wasn't catholic like you guys you guys are free again you guys don't do you guys never do anything wrong you're so good (laughs) (laughs) i mean i I guess right yeah yeah you gotta you gotta have a you gotta love a priest with a sense of humor absolutely absolutely the priest that i confessed to absolutely did not so it was not the best experience (laughs) it's cool though we had one of the cool um monsignors afterwards though so it was whatever i don't remember too much of it but now he was he was a a real philly gangster like yeah Father he Stu brought up or whatever, whatever oh yeah he was italian Mel Gibson dude. movie no <laughs> no Mel not that. movie that they keep advertising with mark Wahlberg. oh right the new, yeah whatever that is yeah no. where, they're, where, where they're like this isn't your average faith-based film no no it's extreme <laughs> no we he he was italian-american so or he is uh, italian-american i think he's still around but he was just always referencing it's either the eagles you know there'd be like a go birds in there and everybody would clap or like yeah. a uh something about his his family that was italian it's he's with you go birds go birds as part of the diet well here's the thing i like and and you know i think it took me until we i experienced people from like other religions specifically when i was traveling abroad because most of the people that i was around in college or high school were either secular or catholic because i didn't Mm -hmm. or they were protestant but i just never talked to them about it so i didn't know and mm-hmm. when I met some people that were really into their faith, like really into their faith, uh, mm-hmm. and you know, it was great. We had some really interesting conversations. Then I started realizing that maybe I don't know as much about Christianity as I thought I did because I'd be like, mm-hmm. oh yeah, well, you know, the saints and this, and they're like, we don't do saints. What, what are you talking about? And it was like, oh, you don't do saints. You don't do sacraments. You don't do this. Mm-hmm. Am I in a cult or are you in a cult? Which one of us is the cult? <laughs> and um, it's, the, it's the Spider-Man meme. It is, though. It is, honestly. <laughs> and I think that's a very... And I'm sure all of you out there, or many of you out there, have interacted with different forms of Christianity in one way or another, mixed up Roman Catholics with Christians and Christians with Protestants, and even though they're all the same thing, but they're technically not. And this is where I think is a good entrance into what we're going to be talking about for the next few weeks, which is specifically detailing the differences between Protestants and Catholics, but namely through a period of time from the 1500s, you know, well into present day, actually, but we'll get there later, where Protestants and Catholics split and do not like each other and the reasons why that is, because there's a lot of history there and a lot of very interesting nuances and cultural differences and you know filled with corruption and political scandals and all kinds of stuff that we'll talk about Mm -hmm. on our tours here uh for the next few weeks oh yeah we're gonna go martin luther to martin luther king that's yeah i mean talk about a timeline catch that's really it for the title um but (laughs) because it's pretty accurate in terms of where we're getting to right but but i mean also in the in understanding the scope and evolution of yeah. Christianity as something that is that is happening in tandem with politics of Europe and the countries that Europe has influence over. Mm-hmm. And I guess the thing that that we want to look into is why are these two particular branches of Christianity how how much of this does shape our own history that yeah. we don't even think about it it's um it, it's interesting because i think to a lot of people they are the same thing i think mm-hmm. i run mm-hmm. into people 
quite frequently that do not think of that that either lump lump things in uh with generic christianity that's specific to catholics or vice versa yeah exactly and i mean even we i think we both have had our run in with some people that were like that and we had some discussions regarding the difference and why historically mm-hmm. why they are different and you know you see it even on tiktok sometimes where people don't realize that the irish and the english have beef with religion you know why they right. don't like each other but regardless of it too i think for you know the tours that we'll be going through is more concerned with the political and some of the cultural differences rather than the specific faith and religion being targeted because we don't yeah. it's not about disregarding people's faith and you know ties to religion both culturally and spiritually that is someone's choice that is their own thing and we yeah. respect that it is more about the political implications that it mm-hmm. has and what it has done through the years that i think we're more interested in exploring because there's exactly. so much that happens that it does nothing to do with faith and it has everything to do with human beings honestly and mm-hmm. what we do to mm-hmm. each other and that we we can try to come at this as you know not just purely condescending 100% because we are people with our own logical blind spots. We Absolutely. are not. We are not perfect. We are two secular people with, with, Catholic heritage to varying degrees. Um, but we also have our, we have our other things where we don't have to stay in the purely logical. Joe, you believe in ghosts. I believe vinyl <laughs> sounds better. You know, we, <laughs> to each their own. <laughs> yeah there's there's things that uh that we can uh that that we can entertain beyond the (laughs) the the purely purely factual exactly exactly we don't want i i think that yeah i think that also just makes for the better investigation here as well so it is about loosening a bit there and going forward and seeing historically why these are different and also explaining you know what the differences are and so mm-hmm. you know with that and in beginning to start our tour i wanted to guide us into our first room which specifically has a large printing press dating back to the 1400s and specifically mm. i wanted to start here because without the printing press it could we one could argue that a lot of what is about to go down would not have happened now i don't want to get too far ahead of myself when we're talking about the protestant reformation and i more so want to start with how we got there and detailing out the differences between catholics and protestants that lead to the reformation and that's going to be a, more of the overview of our first tour before we get into any of the violence before we get into any of the crazy political scandals and things that go down and the separations of different churches and then what the english do which gets really weird really fast but Essentially, I wanted to start here with what we're looking at with Gutenberg's printing press. Now, you might have heard in you know, your social studies class or history classes in high school that the print, that this printing press specifically is one of the first to have movable type and so therefore that people can make printed literature and material that can be mass produced. Now it is known and it's pretty well recognized that there are printing presses dating from Asia, specifically in Korea and China, that go well that are well before this one. But 
we're not necessarily focused in that region right now. We're more focused in Europe. So we, this is the one that really has the most impact specifically for Europe as a whole in, in mass producing um, literature. And so, you know, the orig this original one that we actually have here, I don't know how we got it, but we did, was created in 1440 in Germany specifically by the goldsmith Johannes Gutenberg. Mm. And so an important thing to note here as well is that the the printing press utilizes movable letters or type as a way of mass producing written works, prints, or really anything. And this is pretty revolutionary at the time because now someone can just rearrange, or the printer in this case, can rearrange text and letters by hand, which takes a bit of time, but can print hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of copies of the same page, rearrange the text, and then print it again. Wow. So, and the people yeah. could, right. And I mean, Zan, you know a bit about this as well, where, you know, in terms of being a printmaker, I have experience with that as well, as well as myself. But then at the same mm -hmm. time, the, you know, how revolutionary this idea is, because before then, you know, everything's written by hand, by specifically oh, yeah. monks. And when we're talking in a religious sect at this point, you're having a lot of monks and scribes who are writing everything with quill and ink. And if you mess up, you have to rebind the book probably. So no, you don't mm -hmm. have to, but you know, there's a whole process there that takes forever. So this is essentially allowing for literature to become mass produced. And it's a pretty big deal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's, it's really unbelievable because we take it for granted today, how cheap and available yeah. books are. And then, you know, we've also gotten to a point now where, you know, print has a very different place uh, in our lives than it used to. Yeah. But that the, the idea that so many people were illiterate yeah. is not that crazy if you go back to a time period where there simply aren't that many books available. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, so, yeah. So if all of this stuff is being handmade and is and handwritten that right. there's a select few that are supposed to read them, you kind of understand the, the sacredness of it. Mm -hmm. It's something that is still carried on today to some extent, I think, with Qurans and Torahs that uh, have very specific rules with how they are to be handwritten and uh, right, you know, right. then, then rules for what uh, can, how they should be handled. It's, exactly, uh, yeah. Yeah, but but even in this case too, one of the big things being that the written text and even holy text, specifically for mm -hmm. Christianity, can be printed. In, they're printed in vernacular languages. So right. in spoken yeah. German at the time, older English, old Italian, like or mm -hmm. Italian dialects, right? Like each person is going to translate these things into their own language. And now common folk can speak or can start to learn how to read their own, you know, spoken languages. Right, getting yeah. to a point where people can now have access to information to which they never would have had, right? News mm -hmm. can be printed and not just heralded. It's a huge change. And and like you're saying, absolutely, we do take it for granted because, you know, the at this time, 1440 and earlier, you're really only going to have aristocracy or, you know, clergy who would be reading actively because no one else mm -hmm. either had time or they didn't have access to it and or couldn't read and that's mm -hmm. nothing there's nothing wrong with that especially for the fact that that they weren't there was no opportunity to do so so you know with having all of this material available mm -hmm. and basic and also being available cheaper 
which is really important, that one can pay to have things printed, to have flyers printed. And we'll see this have a mm. massive effect later on when people start preaching about their own ideas when it comes to the faith, Christianity, and where how one can be tied to God. But the fact that now mm-hmm. you could have a personal Bible, we actually have a copy of one here right in front of us, a personal Bible written in wow. Old German, let's say, maybe difficult to read and a bit crammed, but at the same time, you now have access to God. You do not have to go through a priest. You do not have to go to someone who has studied religious text and the understandings of it to translate it down for you. You don't necessarily even mm-hmm. have to go to mass. You can just read it and that will yeah. give you the information. It's a big deal in terms of mm-hmm. changing the tide for where, you know, when we talked about even the Viking age and later where most of the faith is built through clergy and hierarchical systems to which I'll jump right. to in a moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but especially in the Middle Ages, once you know, Christianity is in full swing throughout Europe. The The whole infrastructure built around the Bible, and there's a lot of stuff that's wrapped up in this that's just, just pure, you know, struggle for power uh, in, in the vacuum left by the Roman Empire falling, but also the... Yes. Uh, the, the consolidation of a lot of these different smaller kingdoms into larger christian empires uh is and you know just as a part of the whole of feudalism you're seeing all of this stuff revolving around the people that are meant to interpret Mm -hmm. the the word of the bible it you wouldn't be able to study your own copy and say well why why do you think that this means that and i i'm assuming we're going to get into this very soon (laughs) but this is this is the, the the foundation of of an idea of a certain kind of elitism. Now, there's there's elitism on its face, which is a, a negative connotation for obvious reasons. The, sure. the belief that certain things are for certain people that are uh, from a certain situation, and that is wrong. And the 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 thing though that you can find yourself falling into an elitist mindset though is when you start to have people that have access to something that is important to you and they walk away with their own interpretation that differs from yours right this is not specific to christianity uh there's even even within european judaism for, for like sephardic jews Maimonides was an elitist in the sense that he believed in 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 people going through the motions of religion without uh trying to understand every little thing in the Bible because we are not meant to understand every little thing that mm. there is a larger plan at play and the average person does not need to waste their time trying to think about every little rule and every little uh fraction of a story rather than they they need to remember the big picture and that the smaller rules and everything are meant to be they're, they're, those are for the philosophers to debate the average mm. person does not need to worry themselves about granular uh <laughs> little and and to some extent you know that you can kind of like see that you're like okay yeah that's like 
why do you need to worry about nitpicky weird little rules in your everyday life? Right, exactly. It makes it much more complicated where it would be much easier to just have it all laid out for sure. And I think mm-hmm. that's a pretty fair point, definitely. I mean, yeah. it even starts to break into what I was what I wanted to trans transition into and even detailing out Roman Catholicism specifically because mm-hmm. It kind of functions in that way, but I think at times more condescendingly where it's like, well, we'll tell you how to do these things and, you know, you can just go along with it. Yeah. But there will be some freedom in there, a little bit, Mm -hmm. that allow for some mobility. See, I'm just imagining if nobody learned to read and Martin Luther puts his uh, theses up there and then everyone's like, does anyone know how to read? Right. Can we get to... Is, is, is young <laughs> Jeff there? I know he, he's, he's learned the alphabet, right? He Martin, might be able to put it together. Marty nailed something to the church door, and he looked very angry. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> uh, we'll, get, we'll get to Mr. Marty. Marty Luther. God, it's a good thing he didn't go by that. Could you imagine? <laughs> my name is Martin Luther. Please call me Marty, like all my friends do. Take him Marty, Marty! Marty! It's your cousin, Marvin Luther. <laughs> You know that new religion you've been looking for? Well, listen to this. <laughs> oh man, I cannot wait for all of the. Is that is that the come. third time I've done that? Yeah, probably. Okay, that's all okay. right. Third t- third time and counting. Absolutely, we got to keep somebody keep a track of that, please. <laughs> so, in backing up just a bit, because I think it's important to start establishing these differences, and the first thing to start with is Roman Catholicism, what it means, where it comes from, why it has its specific its specific rules and regulations to it and why it is not necessarily just Christianity anymore. Mm -hmm. But I want to do this now because I know I'm going to catch myself saying this on and off. Christianity Mm -hmm. up until the Reformation is Roman Catholicism. It is all encompassing unless you want to get very technical before Roman Catholicism exists, right? When it's pure Christianity in the beginning and then it gets to this point, at least to my knowledge, right? Because it gets confusing. Well, there's Orthodox Christians. In the beginning, though? Well, not at the, sorry, yeah, not at the very beginning. <laughs> I'm, I'm but talking yeah, before the split, like before we get before into the a split. split. Yes. Yeah, because, yes. because there is a difference in a sense of like mm-hmm. when you hear people refer to like themselves as Christians, if you're like my mom, you think they're talking about Catholics or even myself. I used to think the same thing right. because Catholics also refer to themselves as Christians. And mm-hmm. because at this time in the beginning, they would have been because it is mm-hmm. the faith that transforms into basically bureaucracy, which I'll explain in a moment. But then when we get to Martin Luther, it's going to be very different, where Christians are going to be more Protestant, Catholics are going to be Roman Catholic. So I just want to Mm -hmm. say it now, because I know it's going to... And and Orthodox Christians are Orthodox Christians, right? It's its own thing that's a bit different. So I want to make Mm -hmm. it clear that I might jump back and forth, and that's why, Um, just sort Mm -hmm. of as a preface, because... You know, and and as I've been saying this, and we're moving to our uh, next room here with a sort of timeline, as we see, of the history of the Roman Catholic Church, its origins into its split that we'll get to. Um, But essentially, this is the main religion of Europe from, what, basically the fall of the Roman Empire, if I'm being generous, to Mm kind of still... A little bit, right? It's split up in it, but basically till the Reformation, right? right where yeah. it it this entitles that the Christianity, or specifically the Roman Catholic Church, runs the show, and they had until right. the fifteen hundreds. They control everything. Not good in a conspiracy. Thou- good thou- good thousand year run there. 
Yeah, it's kind of intense. Five, 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 let's say 500 to about the Renaissance. I think that's a, yeah, that's a good ratio right there. I think that, that yeah. pretty much describes it rather well. So mm-hmm. specifically, though, what makes them different from our Protestant face we'll get to in a little while, Roman Catholicism functions through a hierarchical system where the top mm-hmm. boss, you know, the mafioso of this whole thing is the Pope. Uh, you know, because he's in Italy, so I imagine mm-hmm. sometimes yes, they had to yes. have a little bit. I think some of the older popes in the you know Renaissance times definitely had a mafia vibe to them, but you know, <laughs> that, that the, had always just been there. You know, yeah, exactly. So you have the pope as the top guy, then you have cardinals after that who are less powerful than the pope. You know, the pope is, has the word of God. I, I should say this actually: the pope is the one who God speaks through. Mm-hmm. According to the Roman Catholics, I should say, where they are translating the main word, they kind of make most of the moves here because they are the holiest person on the earth and, who can yes be spoken through. And, and but the Pope themselves not being a not being deities, not correct, being correct. Yes, and this this will come up later, I'm sure. Yes. When, once we get into iconoclasm, but you're not supposed to be praying to the Pope, or are you? Or? Uh no he's not a saint yet he's not mm-hmm. you it's not a a a figure to which one would pray to but you could pray to i think him in adjacent right you would pray for you would pray to god or jesus for the pope to have good health i should say that but you're not praying to you you're not praying to pope francis for guidance mm. some people might but i don't that's not really written in there but he is mm-hmm. looked at as a very He's looked at as the president, essentially. I think that might be a good way to, mm. to see it, where they run the show. They're like an emperor, but they're not God. They are God's spokesperson. So gotcha. just as a clarification. Cardinals mm-hmm. are the ones who pick the Pope and are like the highest clergy members who've studied, who understand the text. They pretty much have devoted their lives to clergy business, to religious order, mm-hmm. and are studying all of the time. Okay, not all of them will rise to Pope, but the Pope is picked from them. Then you yes. have archbishops who run mm-hmm. different districts throughout wherever their churches lie. In Europe, it was all throughout the different scattered mm-hmm. kingdoms who are running their districts and conveying back to the Pope. Then you have the bishops who run their smaller districts and towns doing essentially mm-hmm. the same deal. And then can you only get- move diagonally. Exactly, right? Can only move diagonally on the chessboard. And then you have priests who are the servants of God in this case, and are the ones who who have the Holy Spirit, God, this message, let's say, move through them to then convey to you. One goes mm-hmm. to a priest when wanting to confess, when wanting to have holy advice, when one mm. wants to be able to understand something about the Bible that they may not know, and they also are usually giving uh, service unless the bishop is in town, and then they're going to do it too in the cathedrals. So mm-hmm. that's their job, and they're more on the lower side. But then at the l- end of the hierarchical triangle that we've set up here, it's on the wall actually as well. That's handy. It, right? Yeah, very referential yeah. here. Uh, but you have monks and nuns who yeah. are dev- devotees to the faith, have lived their lives in. Um, it's not necessary, in, in de- it's. it's I'm trying to think of a word that's not as aggressive as like poverty or destitution, but they, they simple, I guess, without being yeah. condescending. It's a, it's a more simple, straightforward life devoted to, 
you know, spiritual finding and, and activity in that way, which is make and, and brewing beer. And yeah, <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It's, and, and writing and sewing and doing all kinds of growing other peas crafts. in the case of uh, yeah. Gregor Mendel. Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, they got their own stuff going on. And honestly, sometimes yeah. it sounds kind of nice. So that is honestly our... it sounds like the best gig during. The yeah, well, that's the, that's the thing, because you had a house, you had food and you could do things. Sounds great. If and you're, 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 if not you're a, a woman. You know how to read. Yeah. You don't have to marry anybody. Well, a lot of people did go to the monasteries for this reason, because it gave mm-hmm. you an opportunity to learn and to not have to, like, either fight or farm. Uh, mm-hmm. And that sounds pre- like a pretty good gig. So there's something mm-hmm. definitely to it. And, and monks are, you know, monks and nuns and monks more specifically are throughout all cultures. That's a pretty common thing, you know, right. in different religions, of course, not the same, but in the sense of living one's life through a spiritual means, I think it's pretty similar. Yeah, the, I mean, because the, 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 even for Roman state religion, they what, had the Vestal Virgins? Yeah. Uh, Bud- Buddhism and has monks. There's, exactly. There's, yeah, the, this is the, a, a person that devotes their life to mm-hmm. studying religion, that that is their yes. livelihood. Yes. And that, re- that removes themselves from that. That is something you can find throughout time right. and exactly space. yeah exactly and i mean even it's they you can see the roman catholics up even in their name right taking from roman culture as well as the past because they quite literally build this order right from that they build it right yeah. from the empire and it is said that it's that the origins of even the pope and of this of the church really mm-hmm. comes out of St. Peter and the apostles when they go out, you know, after Jesus rises and mm-hmm. begin the basis of the church and begin spreading the faith to the different corners of, you know, the Middle East and Europe and, and start spreading the faith. And there's this quote that's referenced quite a bit here um, that is usually used to explain this part here. And this is the the reading from it. And so I say to you, you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the heavens of the netherworld shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, capiche? And whatever you lose on earth shall be loosened in heaven. God help you. Okay, got a little piratey at the end there. Um, <laughs> I, I like to think that one of the Medici's actually sounded like that if they spoke English. Um, yeah. We'll never know. I guess we'll have to go back in time. So that is from Matthew sixteen eighteen dash 19 I don't know how you quote biblical scripture, but that's what it says. And mm-hmm. according to said Catholic scripture and lore, I like to consider a lot of the Catholic stuff lore, to be honest, because mm-hmm. it really does start to become like Dune in a There's, way. There, it, it literally is the canon. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is what it's said in this case. However, it is actually debated on whether or not this is necessarily true in terms of fact. And, in the, and if not, that the Bible is more describing this metaphorically. Instead of it being true fact, where Peter was literally the first pope and established the church, that this would all be a more metaphorical description of the city of Rome as that of 
the ancient Babylon and using it as a meeting place, Rome this is, due to its historical importance. So, you know, talking about the city that's mentioned in the Bible, but then replacing that as Rome, given it was the most important city at the time until it starts to, you know, collapse a bit later on and then people are converting and so on. Um, mm. Now, because also that the Romans convert to Christianity under Constantine and, of course, split during the schism, but that does make it again, one of the most, that, that is the central city to the faith. We now have a Christian mm -hmm. city-state. It's kind of a big deal. And wow. something to note here, because, and this also goes for any, you know, for people that believe that the Bible is quite literally historical uh, text, one-to-one, -one, they just retranslated it. Like, they just changed it, in a sense. It could have quite literally been a different city, uh, and this is just mm -hmm. my opinion in this case, but that, you know, Rome is put in later, once it's written, because that is the city that becomes the Christian city-state, you know, the original meeting right. place where the church is now has a mass gathering. Um, yeah, because I guess this this is kind of the interesting thing that you might wonder about if you did not grow up with the emphasis on Rome as the center of your faith, because if you if you're learning about christianity in the context of a social studies class it's this religion that is uh that is appearing trying to subvert the roman empire mm -hmm. it's appearing in uh in you know occupied israel and Jer in jerusalem yeah and it's uh the you can suddenly get a little confused. It's like, whoa, whoa, wait, why is why is Rome important now? Why is everything centered there? Shouldn't they be yeah. over here? Or why wouldn't why right. why do they even care about Italy? Right, exactly. Well, that's the kind of confusing part. But really, what starts to happen is because they set up the church in different places. Because it wasn't just Rome. You know, you had the church set up in Antioch, Alexandria, you know, yeah. in Egypt, and then. And then Rome, of course, too. But because that's mm -hmm. the biggest network established, mm -hmm. it lends itself to being one of the major, you know, places to then branch out from. Do you know what I mean? But yeah. 100% it could be very confusing when looking at it not in this way. But it does have its historical lendings where it, it, it all kind of makes sense as that the one of the biggest empires, you know, on Earth at the time is converting to a religion and now they can establish right. that religion as important mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but this is again one of those things i was even talking about in the beginning uh when we started the tour where i grew up understanding that as just like it's it was a bit weird because i'd always be like weren't they trying to kill the christians and now the christians are roman that's a little confusing but then mm -hmm. If you were to if i imagine growing up protestant you don't really talk about that right the romans killed jesus but they don't you're not following the Pope, so Rome yeah. isn't that important. It's just that they're like the enemy in many cases, and then they become yeah, cool the, later well, on. I remember there was so this this shows how sheltered I was from a lot <sighs> of this. I I remember in like elementary school, I had a friend named John Paul. Oh, there you go. <laughs> and it did, and I it would not have occurred to me that that was the name of the Pope at the uh, time. Gotcha. I had to know. And he came back. He was really excited. He went on a on a uh vacation somewhere far away. Didn't know where. 
In <laughs> retrospect, it was probably Italy. But he came home and he was showing us all these pictures and he's and basically what was what I was made to understand was this really important sacred person had like uh you know like given him a little pat on the shoulder or like a touch on the cheek or whatever and it was just some picture of him and his family kneeling in front of some guy with a red hat oh no and in retrospect <laughs> he was he must have met john paul right yeah the crossover <laughs> of the century oh my yeah, gosh yeah so su- funny. suddenly suddenly it all you know as an adult it clicks into place like right. oh he met the pope right oh my god that's <laughs> hilarious <laughs> oh wow yeah i mean it's but i could see like not knowing you'd be like well why is that important like you don't know who it is it doesn't really matter um Mm -hmm. but in this case you know going on the confusions of rome that's we're not going to get too much into that because it would we could spend hours i think discussing the the history of like what happened in between but essentially when christ when christianity at the time now roman catholics set up the church there this then grows for them for the church to control and to run pretty much all of Europe and all the kingdoms mm-hmm. in Europe, or most of them, I should say, for a, for a few centuries, you know, because yeah. they are tied to, um, because they are tied to the kingdoms, and because the kingdoms have to be, you know, yeah, yeah. because they run but, these, but they're, they but they're also all kind of, com- you know, they they're still waging wars against each other, but yes. This this is the thing that's so confusing and difficult to, especially in in the Italian peninsula, the thing that I still struggle with understanding is how important Catholicism was to all of them. It was it was just the way of life. There was no alternative to that. The worst thing that could happen to you was to be excommunicated. And yet the Medicis are sometimes at war with the papal states. And yeah, you, the the idea that you, you're both Catholic, but you're at war with the Pope shows that this op, this operated on a level beyond uh, the squabbles of different kingdoms. This was a, this was a, a, a way of life and a a model of thinking that is really difficult to wrap your head around in contemporary secularized oh, life. Oh yeah. No, it's incredibly complicated and it gets even more complicated mm-hmm. when money becomes more important than God, which is uh right. you know going to happen very fast. But mm-hmm. because that's the thing, the, pap- the the papal states is its own ci- it's its own city quite literally, but it's it's also its mm-hmm. own government and controlling agency and has influence throughout all of these other kingdoms. So all of these yeah, kingdoms po- who Pope are needs his Gucci shoes. Well, yeah, exactly, and needs its cut specifically Ex- from Oh yeah, no, the, they yeah, need their they, cut. They had the they, yeah, exactly. And this is where you also get, and and this is the political intricacies and where you get a lot of the conspiracy and complaining from other people specifically about the church, which is valid, to be fair. It's valid. I'm not going to defend oh, yeah. Catholicism here on this, but it, it starts to make a lot of sense historically where you have kingdoms, kings specifically are given power through God, and the person who does that is the Pope. So the Pope, can then mm-hmm. give each of these kings power or take it away. And yeah. that is why it was so important, especially later on when people got really into politics, who mm-hmm. was going to be Pope? Whose son? 
was going to be Pope, who was going to rise through the clergy and have influence. Mm-hmm. And the Medici were infamous for that, for infiltrating yeah. the the the. I don't even want to say infiltrating because they just played the game and they got accepted, right? Where they had their influence, yeah. got into the um into the the papacy or papacy, and had a lot of influence in there or were just bribing people. But the same thing with the yeah. Borgia in Rome had control over the, the, um, the clergy mm-hmm. for a bit. Like it became, and it always kind of was who gets to, who's saying what, who gets to do what, but at the same time, there are numerous and numerous amounts of people, disciples, uh, you know, priests, mm-hmm. clergymen who are all still kind of devoted to the faith. And there are many right. who are taking bribes and getting cuts and doing whatever they need to do. Right, yeah. because it is, it's like a crime organization. And that's why mafias function this way, actually, because right. they and, take and influence the ma- and from And the mafia it. also, to this day, has sort of this, this bent to it, that they are um, the, that they are almost a quasi-religious organization. So, yeah. but, but, but here's my, here's my thing that I have always, that, that I've grappled with for a couple of years now, and I think I've talked about this before, but I tabling the very real human rights atrocities perpetuated yes. by Catholics globally. Yes. yes. Um against against women, against non-Christians, uh against uh colonized uh, people, indigenous people, against all these people. I have a I have a an interest, let's call it, in something and in in an international institution in the middle ages that was not determined purely by patrilineal descent that Mm. you're even though people would have a family and then you know uh become a man of the cloth or whatever even though that did happen and it was a part of the politics of europe during that time Right. At least in theory, there was this institution that you were not supposed to have children. You were supposed to choose a life of study and and pro- providing governance to everyday people. It was an institution centered around learning and interpretation and trying to apply a philosophy to uh, a way of life. And to that, I still have a, I don't want to call it respect, but I have a certain, uh, um, I, I'm, I'm impressed by at least the attempt of, of, what, of what was being offered to people, that you could have this position of power, and it wasn't that your father was the priest the priest so you became the priest it was that you chose that right, life right and you had to theoretically at least work and prove yourself in some capacity it was some it was some kind of meritocracy in a in a world that was so um that was that was such a caste system that that you were you were really tied to every other situation that you were born into. And then suddenly here is this thing that says, if you study and learn, you can gain influence. Mm. 
Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. I mean, I think it's, you know, it gave opportunity for those who wanted to study, to study, who wanted to worship, mm -hmm. to worship, to move in different directions beyond just that of nobility and beyond just that of peasantry, right? And yeah, common yeah. folk, but at the same time, it comes with its own rules and things to follow, to which some people did and some people didn't, right? I mean, there's, yeah. they, they talk about the, you know, very, and, and you know, they talk about a lot of how, you know, all the priests are going to follow all these rules and do all these things. And we know that many Catholic priests have done some pretty awful things uh, mm -hmm. and still do. So it is not without criticism and the hierarchical system is not without criticism. But I think we can admire that opportunity at a time where there wasn't really much, right? Mm -hmm. That it does provide, even for like those who go to the monasteries, it offers a different life beyond that of being trapped in one's family mm -hmm. or in, in poverty or whatever that the time is going to keep you in spread throughout yeah. Europe because it's, you know, different in different places. Um, mm -hmm. And even for for people worshipping, it gave... A, it gives a very different story to everything. And because I think right. one thing I left out in terms of the beginnings of the Roman Catholic Church is that you got to convert all the people first besides the Romans right. who are part of the empire. And there's mm -hmm. still, you know, because there's still the, you know, different Germanic tribes of the north who are coming in and raiding and doing things and Vikings later on and all kinds of, you know, other people who don't, who are, have their pagan ways and that's what they're doing. And then you have this organized religion that's trying to reestablish an empire. And mm -hmm. with that, you get figures like Charlemagne who show up and it's either, you know, convert or die by the sword. You get, yeah. you know, the startings of, Frankier and the Holy Roman Empire in England and all of these well England not yet but you know what I mean like the you mm -hmm. know we talk about um Wessex and Essex and all the other kingdoms it's all kingdoms at this point too and yeah. in the 1500s well we'll get to it but the 1400s that we've established we're kind of in right now they're starting to form bigger kingdoms empires and nations but with all that aside out of the conversion you get saints which is very important to this as well because mm -hmm. saints are are something that's not included in Protestant faith is not there, uh, and I know that because people have told me I didn't realize that at first. <laughs> but essentially, a saint is a blessed person or persons who achieved one of the greatest honors for Christendom. Usually, it's through uh, martyrdom for the faith of some sort. Um, and these saints often have their own stories and connections to areas. And they're much like minor deities of other polytheistic religions. And in many cases, they're just reskinned versions of them. So mm -hmm. these saints would also, certain saints would also be known as patron saints. And many yeah. townsfolk or city people would pray to them alongside God and, you know, with the Pope and so on. So, for example, a patron saint would be like St. Francis of Assisi, who's the patron saint of animals and the environment. And so people yeah. might pray to him if like their animals are injured or if they want to be in good health. Another who, Zan, you might have heard of this as well, or anybody in the audience, I'm sure if you have any Italian-American friends or grandparents, they've definitely told you this, where um, you know, if you are missing something or you lost something, you have to say a prayer to St. Anthony who helps find missing things. Mm. I don't know why, but that's specifically, because that's what I was told growing up. It's, oh, you lost your keys, or you lost the say a prayer to St. Anthony. It's like, I don't think that's going to help. But maybe. I definitely have known people with St. Anthony's medals. I had one too, yeah. 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 It's And but, then there's mm -hmm. St. Anthony's triathlon that I did growing up, but I uh, believe that was because of the hospital. 
Gotcha. Okay, that that probably <laughs> makes more sense. But it's all connected. Yeah. It's all connected. But also, yeah. then you have figures like Mary, who are mm-hmm. really, really important, and because well, there's there's a cult of Mary. There is Catholicism, yes. right? Yes. Yeah. There is. Yeah. I don't know too much about it. Um, but that is a big yeah. thing. Yeah, and that there is a a female figure that is at the that is a um that that is a a subject subject of veneration. It's I mean, especially like to further draw in on how Catholicism absorbed the pre-existing Roman and other pagan religions that were already there. You and I have been to Ravenna in yes. Italy. Yes. And there you can see some really really early christian cathedrals and artwork and in those depictions jesus is not depicted as having a beard he is not in they they have not settled into the image of jesus that we all know and love today uh right you know sort of looking like a a 60s hippie right but, <laughs> yeah but jesus looks much more like Apollo where he is a fit youth. Yes. That he's a young shepherd. Uh that that is much more the imagery that they're that they are going for. Uh in, yeah. in those in those earlier depictions. They're they're looking at him as a young man and who can we graph that onto? Apollo. Exactly. It's one-to-one relationships in order to convert people over because it's much easier to understand that way. And, it, yeah, and it's also and th- referencing, th- this would, too. This would, work, this would work with Hellenistic yep. Indo-European religion where you have gods for making sure the bread rises that you right, right. pray to. You have, exactly. you have the, the big, big patron gods, but then there are uh, just a, a, a thousand smaller deities yes. that you that you address. The idea being, I guess, in monotheism, the practicality of God answering every little prayer. I You can kind of see the practicality to it. You're like, yeah, yeah, he's busy. Yeah, he's, yeah, exactly. Well, it's that, <laughs> but also that it, it allows people to still hold on to their earlier traditions without just breaking immediately to a one God, one faith. It's yes, there's one God, but then there's these people who did some pretty cool stuff. And now they're also mm-hmm. saintly, you know, they're not God. Don't mistake them. Mm-hmm. They're not God, but they're very close. Cause they're, yes. and you want like almost like reaching a Nirvana of sort, right? It's like you want to aspire to be at that point. It also, there was, it did get to a point though, where they started making them up like a lot, like a lot of saints are made up. They're not real. Like there isn't, and we know this, like that is, uh-huh. it, you know, that they are just mm-hmm. fictional. It's like a fan fiction that was created. Some might be, but many cases, no. There, there's, there's a uh, story that Kevin Smith tells about uh, him looking up who Saint Kevin was because his mom <laughs> insisted he was named after Saint Kevin. Oh, interesting. He, yeah, and he talks about this during a stand-up thing where he says he looked up what Saint Kevin was known for as a saint and it was basically that he stood out in a field and a bunch of birds landed on his arms oh so it was like and that was his 
That was his thing. He was the scarecrow saint, a scare Kevin. Oh my god, that's amazing. Yeah, I mean they're they're very they get very obscure and mundane very fast. Mm-hmm. That's kind of ridiculous, but also interesting, right? Like that this is a thing that exists and is a part of the faith, and people have shrines to certain saints in their house, and it's a part of the livelihood, and that's a big thing mm-hmm. in Italy, mm-hmm. especially with different. Um, saints for different towns being really important and the artwork being created around that is for them. I mean, it's, it goes, the lore building is huge here, obviously is Mm -hmm, what we're getting at. mm -hmm. But what also comes with this is the focus that the church has on relics, which Mm -hmm. I don't, I mean, we've seen some, I believe Zen, you and I in Italy, um, or at least I definitely have in Rome as well. It's kind of crazy, but they, the Catholic church has a big deal or a big focus on collecting holy relics. And that's like in the middle ages onward, I want to say, or at least into the thousands. That's when that starts becoming a big business now. And I think it's because like to the point where it's mentioned in, you know, the Canterbury tales and even the uh, Boccaccio's Decameron, you know, that they, there's people who they're criticizing that like sell fake relics or that are, you know, selling relics of some sort. Mm-hmm. because you know and and to to very briefly describe what this is essentially a relic is a holy artifact either from saints or usually fragments from Jesus's crucifixion um so either fragments of the cross of Haley of oh, Haley of Mary's veil or hood or, and also uh that she i think cleaned Jesus's blood from the eyes or the wounds, something like that. Uh-huh. And also from the shroud, because there's the shroud of Turin that we have and all these different like yes. things. And it's essentially like the collectibles that, you know, noted scholars and clergymen are going out and trying to find. And in many cases also are selling to the nobility who want them in their collection, which creates Europe a big money making business. how to sell souvenirs. That's exactly. It was a souvenir business from the beginning. And actually we do have some referenced holy relics in the gift shop. If you want to grab one on your way out. No, uh, but we do have some. some Get the, some your merch. picture of Jesus holding up the Leaning Tower of Pisa. Well, I mean, if you go to the Vatican, though, that's kind of what happened. It's kind of like that. Can you get bobble? Can you? Does the Vatican sell bobblehead Jesus? No, that would. Or maybe. Um, uh, I don't know. The, the little, the the plastic Virgin Mary. They definitely do. Yeah. 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 Oh, okay. They sell lots of uh, rosaries. I'm lots, lots of the candles. I like a good candle. They do sell the candles. Yeah. And they're in like different places. You can go and like buy them in the Vatican. I bought a rosary there. I mean, I, I did it. Mm-hmm. It's like, again, I'm not like Catholic, one of the real but... ones where it's like made out of like the, uh, the, the like dried flower things. Mm, probably not. Cause it wasn't that expensive, but I, no. I don't uh, know. I have to check. I got you, one that's it's so, blessed. Joe, Joe, someone someone sold you Mardi Gras beads. Probably, but it was in the Vatican. <laughs> it doesn't matter, Zan. It doesn't even matter, though. <laughs> I, I'm not. I'm not gonna use it. I'm not Catholic. I don't. Fa- I don't go to church. I haven't been to church in years, and I don't plan on it. But it's from the Vatican, so I was like, ah, why not? It's however okay, many euros, okay. and it's blue, and that's all I care about. And I'll, you know, okay, yeah, it's something to have, At I guess. But thank God, it's blue. Yeah, it has to be. I wasn't gonna buy it otherwise. Well, I always wanted to wear one, not because mm. I'm. I want to pray. It's because they kind of look cool, and I just wanted the necklace. Right. But if you do that, that's not great. So, not a good. Unless you really are gonna pray, it's probably like maybe you shouldn't be wearing rosaries. And I was like, mm-hmm. yeah, that's fair. Um, but anyways, like I'm saying, things really haven't changed that much. But essentially, this is a big part as well of where we'll see Protestants start to have some problems, and that is specifically 
the buying and selling of goods. And that goes into one of the biggest things, which will then be indulgences, which I'll get to in a moment. But in wrapping up a very, very brief history of the Catholic Church and the formations, that is the, the thing to keep in mind here is that it's a hierarchical system. It is established. It's a business. It functions like a bureaucracy. We even know that from when they have to deal with exorcisms, right? That there's like paperwork you have to go through. That there mm-hmm. really isn't much room for thought and criticism the later we get in because it's well established there's a lot going on but scholars clergymen people who are, are theologians i should say are making headway and doing their thing in the church but it's mm-hmm. all like in its own container and going outside of that would then be heresy or blasphemy right like you have to be careful in the system that's established the one that runs the show essentially yeah this is important to establish because it is precisely the critical thinking and thoughts and noticing of the hypocrisy that is then amplified by literacy rates and mass printing, as we established in the beginning. Yeah, people, people start to, up. to think a bit about what's, yeah, what's just a going little. <laughs> on with this. They're like, huh, oh, so wait, I have to be good, but if you have money, you can just buy your way out, exactly. buy your way into heaven? It, well, th- you just beat right what I was going to say, which is exactly what that is. And mm-hmm. that's the thing. If you are wealthy during this mm-hmm. time, you can purchase uh, your way out of sin, essentially. Now, of course, there is the absolution of sin, which is then confession which you go to confession just like i had to do at a young age and it's very awkward and you can choose to either look at the priest or put the veil over the thing so you don't have to look at them and you confess your sins they give you some homework to do which is saying some prayers and you're good to go so you can get to heaven and you make sure you got to be fine and there's also the mm-hmm. whole last rites things and other things that come up and besides being baptized that's like all you really need to get to heaven uh but but in the middle ages and onward especially into the 1500s this gets taken a step further and mm-hmm. they priests and other clergymen start selling what I like to call get a, get out of hell free cards or get out of purgatory free cards because that's more what it is but get out of hell free cards is funnier uh, okay. yeah, which, yeah, yeah. which are then these are basically this is what an indulgence is that's what they will be called pass go collect 200 uh, whatever the currency is at the time yeah pretty much but what this does is it allows for one to pay to get family members, friends, whoever out of purgatory, because that's something we haven't talked about just yet. I want to briefly mention mm-hmm. heaven is where you go if you are good, and it is the promised afterlife to which many people are excited to get to because their life on earth is pretty miserable, given its feudalism. Mm-hmm. hell is where you go if you sin and it's bad and you're tortured for eternity doesn't sound great it's used as a fear tactic it's more used as a fear tactic for like other protestant things but we'll get there uh but mm-hmm. even in catholicism it's still not great and dante does a whole beautiful writing about it yes okay those are the binaries then mm-hmm. you have the middle ground which is mm-hmm. essentially the waiting room of a doctor's or dentist's office and that is purgatory. Okay. You are just waiting. And I like this is how I was described to me, and I think it's kind of accurate. You're waiting in a waiting room for hours mm-hmm. and hours and hours. And the clock, it's like, you know, when you look at your, you, you're like waiting for a really long time and you're like, God, it had to have been like 20 minutes. And you look at the clock and it's been like a minute. Mm-hmm. It's that mm-hmm. forever. So 
but where that happens, ah. why that happens is if like, for instance, you were a baby and you died, but you weren't baptized, you're not bad enough to go to hell, but you're not good enough to go to heaven, so you have to go to purgatory and wait. Mm. And that could happen for other reasons as well. Or maybe you didn't get confession before, so you're stuck in purgatory before they judge you. And so this was sold to people as a way of getting their loved ones and other people or family members, as I said, out of purgatory and promise to go to heaven. And this uh-huh. later on started getting mm-hmm. recognized by people as pretty exploitative and predatory because it's going after yeah. poor people who are already donating lots of money so they can go to heaven. Because if you donate money, yeah. it's good. You know, essentially, it's like a good karma thing. It's a good yeah. thing to do. The alms well, in, and in the world before the prison industrial complex, I mean, you basically see the same thing at stake here. Like, whenever yeah. anything is a fine, you're basically saying, oh, well, then fine means legal for rich people. That if exactly. you have money to buy your way out of consequences, then you do not have to do the he- the hard work of someone who does not just have money to make a problem go away and in a in a in a super religious world this is a very real concern the people that are pointing out the uh the the fallacy the the gap in logic here uh the people that do not like this and see how exploitative it is they are people that are also deeply religious and heaven and hell are very real concepts to them right uh but they are and they are still seeing this as a scam exactly that this is this starts to make it it gets a lot of people angry specifically because they're it's it's not has nothing to do with faith it has nothing to do with the act you know the the actual good intentions or bad intentions, right? That if one can pay their way out, they could still do bad things, but they can pay, you know, to get out of that situation. And many people, as you're saying too, start to notice this. And one such important person is uh, Mr. Marty Luther or Martin Luther. Hello, it's me, Martin Luther. Oh, I think my in, this, God. in this country, in this country, it is a, it is a travesty. That these indulgences, that the top 1% can afford these indulgences. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's, that is a very great interpretation. I, I think I, that, you're going to have to commit to that now. It'll, uh, I, for, for other things, it will be complicated for other things that we know about Martin Luther yeah. that I'm sure we will get into. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he... Pretty not great guy, um, to say the least. But yeah, we're 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 Bernie fans, but it, it, it kind of it's, it's it's Bernie it, vibes. It is, <laughs> yeah. Since this is very anti-Semitic, but yeah. Um, so in the year fifteen seventeen, on October thirty first in Wittenberg, Germany, a theologian and former friar by the name of Martin Luther publicly dismissed. <laughs> publicly displayed his 95 thesis to which criticized the use of indulgences by the Roman Catholic Church and questioned the purity of the institution from the inside out, and thus igniting the powder keg that would be known as the Protestant Reformation. The 95 represents the bottom 95% of all people. The top 5%? The top 5%ers? In their yachts? 
I like, I mean, what's so funny though is that it is actually, I used to think the way it's like always advertised and, and said is that he was like angry, but there's also mm-hmm. been some insight that he was more like passive aggressively questioning things. Mm. Like, hmm, you said that this oh, is so how it's supposed to pi- happen. You're but picturing you more of a guy who's like, putting his fingers together and is like, mm, interesting, you critique society, you're a part of society. Mm, mad much? I, I think Martin Luther Hypocrite is, much? Mm. Yeah, I, I think a little bit of that, but he's got some points, but I think he's he's not necessarily either like condescending. I think he's more like, he he's curious. I think he's still kind of condescending and, and has his own agenda. But okay, yeah. in terms of the way it's written, one can make the argument that he's really asking some questions. And he's mad, mm-hmm. but he's asking questions. I like to think he's like an angry Redditor who did some uh, research. You know, like he was doing some this, research. And this is, this is his call-out post. Exactly, exactly. Where it would be his 95 thesis on Reddit, which maybe some people will read and many people will just not read it. But yes. in this case, I want to backtrack a little bit and talk about bit about his uh his backstory here because it's a little interesting mm-hmm. so he's born in 1483 in eiselben which is in germany but it's a part of the holy roman empire something we'll talk a little bit about when we talk more about the empires here uh they're mm-hmm. neither roman nor holy so that's also very interesting however uh luther was baptized and educated he attended the university of erfurt at 17 so very uh you know studious studious man and he later described it his experience at college as a beer and whorehouse which i think says a lot about time and the fact that one could probably describe college that way too yeah, uh, but he's also okay. not very fun he doesn't really like fun. no he, he does is, not strike me as fun. no he is a like i will discipline myself for my faith kind of guy uh, and mm-hmm. is is a i'm gonna study i'm not going out to hang he didn't want to go to the frat parties he did not have fun in college, it sounds like. Mm-hmm. But he later just uh, received a master's degree in 1505 uh, to which he was studying law. And that's what his degree was in. And that was under his father's doing. So it, in he was not really somebody that wanted to go into law. I don't mm-hmm. think it interested him as much, but I think because his family is paying, that's what he did. Uh, and he used it to his advantage 100% when he had to get out of some situations. But later on in post-grad life, he devotes himself to the Augustinian order and joins a monastery where he fasts, confesses, and spends most of his time in prayer. That's what he's into, pretty much. Not really party guy, more like... Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he's kind of, again, it's really fitting that stereotype of guy who thinks they're better than everybody because they don't do certain things. Right. You know, some of us don't need to do drugs to feel high. Yeah. You know, I just feel high from the pleasure of reading and... And Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> it's giving it's giving youth prayer goer uh, vibes mm, to be said. Okay. He, he really, this is like one of the, he, he is that personality. Um... But he's a real he's a real Butch Hartman. Yes. He, oh my god, yes. He's <laughs> Can we talk for a second, Butch Hartman? 
Yeah, his fa- his Jesus fan art. Oh my god, Dad! Uh, Could you imagine an entire church and it has the murals of all the different Bible scenes, but it's animated? The Passion of the Christ. Like a fairly odd parents. I would die. That would be the worst. But no, but th- but this is this is exactly what someone like that does. Butch yeah. Hartman, famous, you know, famously uh, creator of Danny Phantom and the Fairly Odd Parents. Uh you know but talks so much about how he like had to work so hard to keep his children protected from the sins of hollywood (sighs) you know and you know he was in that that like he was in the thick of it some some warfare against the system you know to to maintain to maintain uh their their morality exactly yeah no it, it, it's it's very similar i think to meanwhile to make making a, a sh- two shows that uh are really that that so many queer people identify yeah with. it's it is very <laughs> ironic and also just I, i'm Having also convinced a secret you can't tell your parents y- yeah and you he's like yeah it's on. about jesus it's about jesus guys come on that was the whole point i think yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I have the running theory with some friends too that he can't actually draw and he only had the idea for the show and some sketches and all the animators and artists who did work on that show actually fixed it and did it for him and mm. continue that on. And that starts to make a lot more sense when you look at how he like backtracks like JK Rowling on his own story and like when he draws his Jesus fan art, it looks god awful, no pun intended. Uh-huh. Um uh-huh. it's he is I mean, this gives way to people like that, but yeah, it's it's a mess in and of itself. Um, There's definitely fan art somewhere of Danny Phantom nailed to the cross. A hundred percent, there has to be. Well, he's a is he's, he... he's the Holy Ghost. <laughs> that makes sense. That's why he exists. That was the idea for sure. That had he's to be the idea. Um, but yeah. So in this brief explanation, you know, Luther is not a good guy at all historically. He's not only misogynistic, he's anti-Semitic. He's got some pretty, uh, you know, hot gossip on, uh, you know, and pretty bad takes when it comes to other things, too. So I want to make this very clear. Like, yeah, he's not a good person. And we don't have to get into Mm -hmm. it because I don't necessarily think it's like, you know, I want to make it more in the front talking about that. But we're not going to spend too, too much time in him. It's Mm -hmm. more about what he did that opens the floodgates, quite literally. Yeah. Um, Yeah, I, I think we can... We're we're both interested in people that did not that were not right all of the time, but had right. some worthwhile ideas or at least some ideas that got people thinking down yeah down the right path. I mean that's that that's an important thing in history. You know the 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 great men and women of history are not great in terms of their how the, how they would square with our contemporary yeah. morality it, more in terms of people that had uh, a dangerously good idea i it's, yeah but but one one thing that i'm also i i want to think about this and i about this time period is just with the with, with the with the black plague and everything mm. i I think about all of the, all of these, the, this breakup of, uh, of Catholicism, of people starting to become contrarians, yeah. of, 
of things starting to dissolve this power structure. And it kind of... Because one, I, I'm... At least it's my own pet theory that all of the wackadoo stuff that comes out of Europe for the next 500 years is in in some way all because of the black plague of how mm. deeply traumatized yeah of a, of a society uh went on to try to take over the world um mm. you know those those being pretty much all of the countries of europe even though they themselves were all competing they were all affected by this oh yeah and i it, it reminds me of another problematic but worthwhile think thinker hannah arendt and i one of the things she talks about in origins of totalitarianism is that the people will look at something that has lost some of its power she references particularly like say in her example she starts with the french aristocracy before the fall of um uh but before the fall of the french monarchy you know the the loosening of power and that people are much less tolerant at least in her approximation people are less tolerant of the wealthy if they no longer appear to have a quote-unquote function in society that mm. If someone is like benignly just there, they're not telling you what to do, you know? They're just right. there and they have a big house. You are going to resent them so much more than if they're at least in charge of things. That they're like, the grain needs to go here and these people need to grow these crops and you need to do this and that and that. And I'm rich and in charge because I'm in charge because they said so. Right. And hmm. as soon as the veneer of that authority gets wiped away, people get very intolerant of aristocracy very quickly. Yeah, that's really interesting. I didn't, I, I like, I mean, it, it's a, it's a good point because that's pretty much what happens here. And yeah, that, that the, that the Catholicism kind of failed, took a big L on the Black Plague. Oh, yeah, 100%. Well, because how do you explain it? And then they're still yeah. trying to exploit people for money mm -hmm. during yeah. and after. And because it's not just yeah. like a, a one-time thing. It goes on for a few centuries on and off, honestly. Yeah, so it's, yeah. It's... So so as soon as you see that, oh, they're not really in charge of anything. This is everyone right. for themselves. Exactly. And people who are selling things and making money off of basic needs or, you know, producing all these things beyond the church tends to give a little bit of thought to, well, what does this all mean? And do I need you to tell me what to do? Right? Yeah. And then you get people like Martin Luther who become the figurehead of these things, but there's many others behind this. It's not just him who mm -hmm. are thinking this way. You know, they're thinking about how one can connect to God without having to talk to, you know, Frank the priest, right? Like, do mm -hmm. I need, or do I need the Pope to be the spokesperson for God? Or can the Bible and having a strong faith lead mm -hmm. me to be in connection with that? Which is a pretty yeah. big deal. It's a big yeah thought process and honestly not a bad one either when you start to break away from all of the corruption and you know pain and devastation that the church is raining on people and not to mention the plague rapidly spreading throughout europe on and off and especially during this time and mm -hmm. 
killing lots and lots of people. And I'm glad mm-hmm. you brought that up because it is important to the historical background that sets the stage for this. Yeah. And really, you know, what set him off in specifically mm-hmm. when I mentioned the indulgences, that's most of it. But mm-hmm. it, it's also because they're using the indulgences or I should say that the sale of indulgences went up in terms of how much it was being to cost because they needed to rebuild St. Peter's Basilica in Rome. And that'd be about five, 15, 17. So mm, they were now asking more people or again, common folk in the cities, wherever in the countryside to pay more to get their you know loved ones out of um, purgatory. I can imagine too, for those who died of sickness, that that has to be time. If you couldn't get to a priest fast enough, right. To get last confession yeah. causes some problems. And Luther and his and other Christians as well are looking at this as exploitative and wrong very clearly and start he starts writing stuff down and starts pointing out hypocrisies that are used, especially for the fact that this is not being used to help them. It's being used to fund projects. They literally used it to build a building. Not mm-hmm. it wasn't for God. It was for a building that, yeah, it's for God, but it's for the Pope, right? Like it's a great building though. The Catholic It is so cool. It's so cool. <laughs> it is so cool. And this isn't yeah. this is also something, you know, we see this throughout history too. But it's again like someone and all these other people who are reading things, yeah. who are educated, who are finding this as an opportunity to use their own ideas and express them. And that leads to disputation on the power of indulgences or the 95 theses or theses Mm -hmm. and in these when he nails them to the church door it's he's not necessarily writing this in an angry or confrontational tone as i was saying but this is really looking for answers but right it doesn't necessarily matter because what this will this leads to a massive chain of events that still does affect our lives today it Mm -hmm. still has impact and and we can see its reverberations throughout history. Oh yeah, yeah. This, and this is just this is just the origin of the theses. Ex- that is so freaking good. <laughs> uh, oh, that, yeah, it is though. It's the origin of the theses. <laughs> Jeez. So his questions in these theses, in his ninety-five theses, they spread like wildfire. Papal mm-hmm. documents, papal documents, and canon laws were burned by students protesting these rules and ideas. And Christian humanists harshly criticized the church, very outright. Mm-hmm. There's riots, there's protesting, hence the name. And the uproar went from questioning the philosophy of the church to outright rejecting it. And this is later. Mm-hmm. This would later be known as the Reformation or the Protestant Reformation. That was all, in a sense, just the prologue, fueling the flames for what would become one of the biggest changes in Europe that, again, still has a lot to work out today. And we will get to that, hopefully, and talk a little bit more about it. So the Reformation would come to change how one could think to speak through God, what the power of the church, the faith, clergy, what does it all mean, and how does it affect the everyday person? Through the use of written text, thanks to Gutenberg's press, and being able to be mass-produced to get the word out there, for Bibles and vernacular languages to be published and sold, and people to start reading and be educated and, and, and taught these things. Massive changes to philosophy, all the way to the Enlightenment, to all types of different ideas are going to come through here. And the slow breaking down of the church was thought to go 
But in fact, it'll go in a different direction completely, where you mm-hmm. will have a complete change of direction from the church in a sense, not of control and of power, but doubling down on luxury and glory and how to show off, mm. which the irony comes through into the 20th century when we see megachurches show up under protestant right. face prosperity but... gospel exactly exactly yeah well, but like it... a lot of things like even what we were talking about last week you could see how this started as potentially uh wanting to fix the church from within you know yes and saying like these are real problems that we have with the church and we can make it better right and then, like a lot of other issues, whether it be uh, science or gun control or all, all, all any any sort of issue, as soon as the establishment decides that they do not want to conform, or they, they sorry they they do not want to better themselves then suddenly all of these symbolic things that had just kind of existed before without a, um, you know, it just was a part of the deal. All right. of a sudden, that it's, it's at that point that in any situation, suddenly those become like the very strict, ardent rules. Right. Uh, because suddenly it is a way to differentiate yourself. I think mm. there's a lot of things that were kind of like arbitrary to um to western european capital and american capitalism and uh russian communism and Uh and the soviet union i think there were things that were not inherent to either philosophy but got tied up in those two powers looking at each other and saying, if they are that, then we are this. Yeah, exactly. It's the binary forces, too. It's the idea of one opposing another and going at it. And yeah, and I think, like, because there is, you know, a lot of philosophical development that's going to come out of this time. And yeah. I think a lot of fair judgment. But then yeah. there'll be a lot of retaliation from both yeah, and there's but, gonna but be you, a... you can you can see the good intention 100 as, as if if martin luther could have had a good intention right um, well that, know, yeah that, that the idea that uh of a personal journey of yeah. of doing the reading yourself and seeing what you can determine from it rather than having someone yeah. else interpret it for you do the research yeah, yeah, do the research. <laughs> Nicki Minaj says yeah, do your own research. Exactly. And then I guess yeah. he didn't predict Google though. So no. that became a problem. But it is Well, yeah, it didn't 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 predict QAnon, didn't No. <laughs> but that's the thing. It all kind of comes back to this idea and that's what's so difficult about it and again nuanced because mm-hmm. it is positive. It I think it is a good thing. This yeah. this needed to happen, but it increases it comes at a cost, just like anything yeah. that has a development. And it's it's not something that I think we can sit here and say, this good, that bad, done. Religion, yeah. go religion, bad, over. It, it's yeah. not that easy. It's way more complex. And that's why we're doing these tours to really explore this because it's going to go on into some much more, many other different things from wars to the conversion of cities and, and, and countries, quite literally, to a different religion in the case of Henry VIII over, you know, just whatever but yeah it's henry henry the 
Eighth tried to fast track um, <laughs> Protestantism. Yeah, but like then you get the Church of England that kind of worked. Like it's it's wild to me that yeah, like yeah. But it but it all does. It 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 has good intention in the beginning, and it mm-hmm. very quickly goes into everybody creating different versions of that to different versions of that to different versions of that because it allows itself to and mm-hmm. then you get kind of a mess especially in like 1800 1900s america and the rise of cults which i think we'll hopefully touch on as a sort of wrap yeah. up but in this yeah, case we, we have we have a lot well, a long of way to ground go. to cover but it's gonna it be is going to start revolving around this idea of yes in a lot of ways, like like where we are right now, and maybe maybe this is where the the button we can put on this to to set the stage for what we're going to be talking about as we mm. go forward, as we talk about the good and bad ideas on both side of sides of the schism. Um, it, where we are right now is uh, a place we probably need to be at a, as a society where we interrogate the idea of a one singular grand narrative that uh, we can point to history and say, this is how things happened. This is what happened. And there were good and bad people. And, uh, you know, that's that's just the way it was. That was the way the 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 that was the way the chips fell. And mm. now we have rightfully so people uh coming out with different narratives that are happening simultaneously and saying well maybe that was the truth for some people but that was not the truth or the reality for other people right and that is something that needs to happen to get away from the idea of there being one absolute truth to everything Mm. where we get into problems where we're trying to now also correct is people with a lot of other very weird and downright dangerous ideas of um of abandoning truth you Mm. see this with the the QAnon people the trump supporters and i'm sure we'll get into all of that as well but as soon as you kind of destroy the idea of the truth or what what is what the the collective has decided is the subjective truth correct yeah you open the floodgates to a lot of things as we try to reevaluate and recollect the the fragments to rebuild reality exactly exactly i think it's a really good Mm -hmm. way of summing this up and showing the direction to which we're going to be going with this um but yeah, I mean that does it for part one, where we'll pick up mm. back. We'll pick back up next week with our second oh, yeah. tour revolving around this. Yeah, uh, everybody, give a big hand to Joe oh, for this fantastic you. research oh, and the, and setting up this amazing exhibition. Um, and yeah, no, this is this is going to give us a ton of great stuff to talk about. Oh yes, and so excited to see uh, where this series goes. Yeah, it's going to be a very interesting compilation compilation of different events and things that are all connected to this. But I think I, I and I appreciate that, too. I mean, I think it's going to be a yeah, we got a lot in store here to talk about. Uh, not mm-hmm. too much more descriptions and religion based things. This is really the one to set up our origin story of everything. This was the prologue to these events. But, mm-hmm. you know, next week we got some more common with this and it's going to go 
very fast and get it's gonna be a lot for sure there's gonna be a lot that goes down but i'm really mm-hmm, excited mm-hmm. To, to get into it oh yeah everybody needs to be wearing ponchos for all the blood uh that's gonna oh be yeah happening. yeah the, the live reenactments that ho it's just tomato juice don't worry it's it's not real uh yeah. but yeah thank you all again so much for joining us on this part one tour of protestants versus catholics uh seriously appreciate you all joining us here um mm-hmm. Yeah, Zan usually give all the the, okay. <laughs> the information. Yes, so. <laughs> yes. Thank you all so much. Uh oh, wow. Well, if you've enjoyed today's tour, we would really appreciate a rating and review on your podcatcher of choice. Uh, give us a follow, um, and spread the word. Uh, thanks again to my uh little brother Race, who is a guest on here recently. Yes, yes. Um, let's see. Uh. What have you got going on, Joe? Uh, not too much at the moment. Still waiting on some news, but there's definitely some projects in the works. Uh, I should have some music up on my SoundCloud, which is still under Joe Semino or Joe Semino Art, I believe. So you can check that out. I hopefully have dropped some things on there by now, uh, some tunes to check out. But that's pretty much it at the moment. Zan, what do you got going on? Hmm, nice, nice. Um, I have a... Uh... Let's see. So my uh, piece has come down from uh, Art Center East. Thank you so much for having it in there. That piece is now getting ready to go into my thesis show. Uh, my own thesis. My 95 th- thesis. <laughs> that should have been the title, truly. Uh, yeah. Uh, my MFA thesis show, uh, Forever in 10 Days, which is going to go up May. Well, the reception is going to be May 12th. 20th at 6 p.m oh. uh so i will be there if uh you want to come dressed in your finest and uh we'll f- just sort of celebrate the end of uh mm. my time here at the museum school at tufts nice uh nice. don't have anything else for certain i can announce just yet just getting ready to move to new york in not too long which is really exciting get ready hudson valley uh yeah uh if you would like to find me and my work uh you can look at my website zanpeters.com you can also find me on instagram at zanosaurus and you can find me on instagram as at josemino art if you want to follow the museum after hours we are at uncanny museum on twitter and at uncanny county museum on instagram and from the uncanny county museum i have been martin luther i have been zan peters <laughs> And I've been just, you know. Goodbye. Alpha Descent.